0: This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly. Welcome to Media Business. We've got a phenomenal guest today. Jeff Gilbert is the auto reporter for WWJ AM radio in Detroit, as well as WWJ TV in Detroit. And if you travel a lot like I do, WWJ can be picked up just about anywhere in the state and long outside the state. Jeff, how are you?
1: I am doing great. This is an exciting industry to cover, so how can I not be
0: doing great? Oh, well, it sounds great. Give us a little bit of your background.
1: My background, well, you know, what can I say? I'm an old guy. I've been in this for 48 years, meaning I started in elementary school, and I've done a lot of different jobs over the years. I've been at WWJ for the last 32 years and covering the auto industry exclusively for about 17 years. And frankly, covering the auto industry is the best job I've had because yeah, cars are cool, but there are so many other cool stories to cover in the auto industry. It really is a microcosm of life. And WWJ
0: really found a niche when it comes to the news, just presenting the news. It's constantly coming at you. It's constantly updated. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, all news, an interesting format in radio, would probably in many ways, people who aren't in radio don't understand. It's one of the rarest formats you'll find. There are only a half dozen all news stations in the country because you can really only afford to do a format like that, that is so labor intensive, that has so many people, you can only afford to do it in bigger markets where there's more advertising and you have more of an audience and you can charge more for advertising. So Detroit is one of the rare cities that has an all news radio station.
0: Jeff, what's your take on how the media covers the auto industry, not only in Detroit, not only across the state of Michigan, but across the country and the world? How are we doing?
1: You know, I'm not a media critic per se, but I do have a few thoughts on this. So when you talk about automotive media, you're talking about a number of different things. You've got people who their only job is to drive vehicles, to know about the product. They go out on vehicle ride and drive programs, and they exclusively cover that. That's one part of the media audience. The other part is the people who cover business. I'm fortunate to get to cover both, but, you know, you've got the Wall Street Journal, Associated Press, Reuters, Bloomberg, New York Times, as well as the two Detroit papers who heavily cover it. So those are like the two main ways the media covers the auto industry. And then coming into it, you've got the startups. I mean, just like the auto industry has startups, you've got media people who have startups. You talk about dating ourselves. We didn't have YouTube, Facebook, social media. When I was starting out in the business, but nowadays my advice for any young person who wants to be an auto reporter is, you know, get your own YouTube channel, get your own Facebook page. It doesn't cost anything. And you've got some people out there have some following. So, you know, the media is forever changing. That's why when people say media act like it's one thing, it truly is a plural. Jeff,
0: what does the auto industry outside the United States, so those over in Europe, those in China, what do they think about the auto industry in the United States?
1: It's interesting. There are similarities and there are differences. Obviously, the big difference is even though we're paying a lot of money for gasoline, we're not paying as much as they are in Europe. So vehicles on that side of the Atlantic tend to be a lot smaller. But One interesting trend that has developed is everybody loves SUVs. They just like the smaller ones over in Europe. And you see the desire for that kind of utility. You see the desire to get through bad weather, things of that nature. And then you have the constant emerging markets, and you have visions of those emerging markets changing. I remember around the 2008, 2009 era, everybody talked about what they called the brick markets, Brazil, Russia, India, and China that they were going to be the next growth markets. And that was a big prediction back then. Then all of a sudden, Russia kind of fell off the map. India turned out to be not that big a market. China just boomed and has slowed down a bit. And Brazil has been okay, but not what other people think they are. So as you look around the world, projections are constantly changing.
0: Jeff, President Biden has really had a great push in regards to us going to more sustainable energy, and that brings up the electric car market. I just want to get your take on it. How soon can we be ready to go all electric when it comes to automobiles? Realistically, having enough batteries, having enough charging stations, having
1: the technology to make these vehicles more cost-effective. Giving me an area that I really like to talk about, so I appreciate that. This is something that is going to happen slowly, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. You know, it seems right now like, boom, this is all upon us and everything is gonna happen overnight. Well, even the most ambitious projections, states like California that say, we want to only sell electric vehicles by 2035, Let's say that happens, and there's still a possibility that could get pushed back because of circumstances. But let's say a certain number of states, you know, half the country, say, decides we're only going to sell EVs by 2035. Well, you're still going to have gasoline-powered vehicles sold in the other part of the country. You're still going to have used gasoline-powered vehicles sold. And the vehicles that are on the road are probably going to be kept up and last longer. So the average vehicle on the road last 20 years. So let's just say okay we've got a gasoline powered vehicle ban by 2035 and then the gasoline powered vehicles that are on the road will phase out by you know 20 years later. That's taking us to 2055. And quick math is you know that's well over 33 years into the future before we would see an all-electric industry, so are all-electric country on the roads. And that would be the earliest. It's probably going to be later. So this is going to happen. That's the first important point to think of. And the second important point to think of is don't think of today's electric vehicles. I mean, if you take a look at what's on the road right now, 250 miles of range is a price of interest. 10 years ago, very few vehicles could get over 100 miles of range. What we have now is really great for early adopters. People who want the coolest new technology, still not great for those who don't want to have to worry about you know, where they're going to fill up and things of that nature. So you have to assume there will be breakthroughs, there will be improvements, there'll be a lot of work that maybe someday they're going to get very close to being able to re- charge as fast as you can refuel. So for all of this to work, we are depending on breakthroughs in terms of technology and price. So, you know, the two points are nothing's happening overnight. And the other point being, you know, don't expect what you see now to be the EVs of the future. Jeff, when we come back
0: from break, I want to talk to you about chips and new cars. And we'll do that next. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. For something to grow, it takes time, like the equity in your home. That's why LafQ offers a home equity line of credit, because frequent watering of your houseplants may be recommended. Now can we get a new roof? Not so much the rest of the house. Want the best rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LafQ. Stop in today or go to LafQ.com slash home equity. LafQ, Laugh-Q, your credit union for life. You're listening to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly, talking with Jeff Gilbert, who's the auto reporter for WWJ AM radio and TV in Detroit. Jeff, I recently received an email from a listener to the podcast and he was frustrated. And just to put it in a nutshell, he wanted to buy a new car. He can't get it because for the things that he wants in it, they can't get the chips that they need. And he was wondering why in the heck didn't a long time ago, we put ourselves in a position where we produce these ourselves. And why don't we do it now? And my only answer to him was to listen to my interview with you. And I also added to him that he has no idea how much it costs to start from the ground up a chip manufacturing business. What's your take?
1: Yeah, well, first, we've got the Chips Act that passed. It is going to put out a lot of money for companies that do want to produce chips in the United States. But the reality is that's still a couple of years away. So that's not going to solve the problem of anybody who wants a vehicle right now and doesn't want to wait for it. That's a problem that has been brewing over time. And, you know, it had its roots in the pandemic when car companies throttled back their purchases of chips because they thought we were going into a deep recession and people weren't going to buy vehicles. No well, surprise, there was heavy demand for vehicles. Those chips were sold to somebody else and the car industry was left short. So that was almost two years ago that that happened. So why is it still a problem now? Well, there have been issues on top of that. You've had fires at chip plants. You've had issues where chip plants have had tornadoes and bad weather. You've had COVID closings in Malaysia and China. All of those things have compounded. Now, car companies have done a better job of getting the chips, but they're still short and there's high demand for vehicles. So even as they ramp up production a little bit, inventories are depleted and it's going to take a while to fill them out. So what does that mean for customers? Well, it means for customers that you have to shop around, maybe find something you don't exactly want, and you have to make sure that you can be patient wait for what you want. I did a story earlier this week with J.D. Power saying that you know their annual survey of customers is that people are not happy about this, But the biggest thing that they're unhappy with is lack of information. They will accept it if they can continually get information and that information is realistic, you know. If your car's not going to come till next May, tell the customer it's not going to come till next May. Don't tell them February and they go, oops, it's going to take a little bit longer till you get to May. So that's the main complaint about customers, as well as markups that we're seeing from some dealers in terms of, you know, adding more money onto the sticker price of vehicles that are in particularly tight supply. Jeff, if I've learned anything from listening to your
0: reporting on WWJ radio is that auto companies to survive and to be profitable. They just have to be looking towards the future. They have to be innovative. And I'm surprised one of the big three or someone didn't see this maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. You know what? There's going to be a niche here. I need to get after this and get ahead of it so we can produce this on
1: our own. Is there any cases of that? No. If you look at a car maker, they build about 30 percent of the vehicle the rest they buy from suppliers Mm -hmm. so they don't really want to be in the production of parts they essentially assemble the vehicles build the stampings for the exterior and build the powertrains. now with evs we're seeing a little more of them taking work in-house so they actually are learning from this and you know that's why you're seeing these joint ventures with battery plants because they don't want to get caught short on batteries like they have chips but for the most part The auto industries have a great relationship with auto suppliers, and they would much rather buy some of the less important parts. And At that point, they thought chips weren't as important. They thought they were commodities. They'd much rather buy those parts from a supplier than make them themselves. Jeff, you just mentioned something interesting that during the pandemic, the
0: auto industry thought people are not going to buy vehicles, and that wasn't the
1: case. Why was that? Boy, if I could have had a crystal ball and looked ahead, you know, we'd all be really good right now. Well, you know, what happened is if you take a look at what was going on, I mean, let's mentally go back in a time machine to March of 2020, everybody thought the world was shutting down, uh, plants were shut down, people were being laid off, we were talking about double-digit unemployment, people were predicting another Great Depression with, you know, a quarter of the people out of work, well... You know, people got creative. There were policies passed, like the Paycheck Protection Act, there were stimulants put into the economy, and all of a sudden, well, by that summer, most people, I mean, other than those in the hospitality industry who are out longer, most people were getting back to work. People had protection. They were getting benefits. So we did not see the overall collapse of the economy that some were worried about. You know, let's go back to that time. GM, I recall... Asked their employees to take a 20% pay deferral, not a pay cut, but just, hey, you know, let us hold on to your money so we have cash on hand and we'll pay it back to you later. Everybody was taking out lines of credits. There was just so much unknown there and so much worry. And, you know, thank God it didn't turn out as bad as a lot of people thought it would, at least for the economy. It was terrible for the disease, but for the economy, we rebounded a lot faster than most people thought
0: we're talking with jeff gilbert the fine auto reporter for wwj tv and am radio in detroit when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about the auto industry and how it's doing tony conley this is media business on the michigan business network This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with Jeff Gilbert. Jeff, so as we stand today, how is the American automobile industry doing? Are they profitable now? What do they see for next year?
1: Yeah. Profitable. How about a nervous profitability? How's that for (laughs) coining a phrase? Everybody is making money. Some aren't making as much money as they thought they would. And, you know, there is that little bit of concern out there. First, in terms of the chip shortage and tight inventories, that actually has played to the auto industry's strengths. It means that they've been able to cut back their vehicles that have lower profit margins and concentrate on the more profitable vehicles. So despite the chip crisis, they're making a lot of money. But there are a lot of worries about economic storm clouds on the horizon. You know, a year from now, if inventories are refilled, Will there be a lessening of demand because the people who wanted the more expensive vehicles have purchased them? Will there be economic concern to keep people from purchasing vehicles? Will car makers who have been, you know, getting top dollar from a vehicle have to do big discounts? That's one area of worry. The other area of worry is that car companies are spending a lot of money. They've got to develop these. New electric vehicles, but they're still making money off of the gasoline-powered vehicles and they have to keep them fresh. So they're investing more money than ever before. So, you know, will they make a profit? Or better asked, When will they make a large enough profit on electric vehicles? So there are all of these things that are just sort of hanging out there in the future. The other issue is vehicle automation. If you talk to General Motors, they're going to make billions of dollars a year running self-driving taxis in major cities. Ford a couple of weeks ago said, hey, we've sunk billions into this and we haven't seen a return on investment. You know, we're pulling the plug. So there's a lot out there. As I said, that's what makes this such a fascinating business to cover. I don't have a stake in any of these companies. I just have a front row seat.
0: Jeff, what's your take on the change of date for the North American International Auto Show? Good, bad, especially when it comes to folks getting in to see the show?
1: Yeah, I think generally speaking, the people who went to the show, the consumers were very happy. I think uh, we have to adjust our expectations. For a long time there, we had what was essentially the Super Bowl of auto shows. We had this big event with glittering displays. With I mean, if you had walked into what they called Kobo Center then, it was just, I mean, it was like Disney World had moved inside to Detroit for a couple of weeks. Well, Unfortunately, the world has changed that wasn't sustainable. Car makers are saying, hey, look, we pumped a lot of money into this and we didn't get the return on investment that we thought. We like the idea of having a nice auto show, where the public can see our vehicles, the public can understand things about our vehicles. But if I'm going to do a big media unveiling, you know, I'll go off and do my own. I'm not as interested in doing that at an auto show as I was before. So the auto show had to scale back. The pandemic accelerated things. They had to change. So on the negative side, you know, as somebody who's been to the auto show in Detroit every year since 1987, I could notice it was not the same. It was not the big deal that it once was from the glitter and glamour and media side of things from the customer side. As I talked to people who went to the show, well, that extra space let people put up tracks in the show. And people really loved riding around in the vehicles on those tracks in the show. You know, we in the media kind of chuckled when they said, Oh, we're going to have a giant rubber duck out in front of the convention (laughs) center and we're going to have dinosaurs there. It's like, okay, what does that have to do with cars? Well, Everybody was talking about that stupid duck. Everybody you talked to about the show (laughs) talked to it. Kids were having a good time playing with the dinosaurs. So, you know, they got something there in turning it into a family event. It's moved away from being a media event to a, you know, civic and a family event. I don't think they're 100% of the way there, but I think they've got the right idea. and I think they're moving in a really good direction, again, for a show that appeals to the community here in Metro Detroit, but may not make a news ripple outside of Detroit.
0: What I find curious is now we've got, and correct me if I'm wrong, auto shows in New York, Chicago, and LA from the manufacturers. Perspective, oh, you know, those
1: shows have been around for a while.
0: Is that necessary to have so many
1: Is my point though? You know, no customer's going to travel from New York to Detroit to have an auto show. So Mm -hmm. every city has an auto show of sorts. Grand Rapids has an auto show as well. Smaller cities, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, they've had auto shows for years. It used to be that the big shows in the U.S., Detroit was the biggest of all. That's why it was a North American international auto show. Then New York, Chicago, and L.A. had substantial shows. Globally, Frankfurt was just a giant. The shows in China were a big deal. Paris was a big deal. So there was an auto show circuit. Media-wise, that's in a state of flux. You know, I'll be going to the LA auto show soon. There will be a couple of important vehicle reveals, but not like it was before. You know, from my standpoint, going to an auto show is important because the players in the auto industry are there. I can go there. Talk to a lot of people, see them all in one place. To me, that's more important than even seeing the vehicles is you know, that's the rare place you can interact and engage with a lot of different people in the auto industry.
0: Jeff, is there a correlation between those auto shows and sales after show's over? Do they track that?
1: They do, and that's why Detroit's show was in January for so long, because the dealers Really wanted a boost in the bad weather months. And they finally decided that maybe it was more important to have a show where people could go outside. And the city of Detroit, of course, likes it better that people can go outside, go to restaurants, things of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, that is the whole purpose. These shows are put on by car dealers. They want to get people interested in their vehicles. They want to sell cars.
0: All right, Jeff, before we let you go, what's something newsy? What are you working on now? What should we be looking for when it comes to auto industry news?
1: Well, as I mentioned, coming up is the LA Auto Show. That is one press preview day on the 17th. Watch for the finalists for North American Car, Truck, and Utility of the Year. They will be announced at that show, and the awards will be given out in Detroit in early January and I am president-elect of that organization. So that's newsworthy for me. That means more work for no pay. And the other thing to watch out for is let's see how the year closes. Let's see if they have any December to remember savings. We've been talking
0: with Jeff Gilbert, who's the auto reporter for WJTV and AM radio in the Motor City. He's a must follow on Twitter. Uh, Jeff, I appreciate your time so much. Thank you very much.
1: All right, Tony, thanks for the call.
0: I'm Tony Connolly. You've been listening to Media Business on the Michigan Business
1: Network.